Today, I'd like to share a passage of Scripture from Acts chapter 17, verse 16 to 34. Shall we stand together for the reading of God's Word? Now, everybody can read God's Word now. Is it big enough for everybody? Okay. All right, I will not read the whole passage. It's taken from verse 16 to verse 34, one of the most powerful passages of Scripture, but we will just read a few verses starting from verse 22. Let's read together. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. God, who made the world and everything in it, since He is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is He worshipped with men's hands, as though He needed anything, since He gives to all life, breath, and all things. Praise the Lord for His Word. Thank you. Please be seated. In Acts chapter 17, we see Paul continuing on his second missionary journey. And he has just traveled. He has just traveled. Sorry. Oops. I was looking for the pointer. It takes me back to this one here. Okay. This morning, this morning, let us share on this God I proclaim. That was what Paul says. You know, Him I proclaim to you. This God, this God I proclaim to you. And uh, the pointer here is not working and I, I keep pressing the wrong button so I will not try it anymore. Alright, so Paul has just traveled from Philippi and you know what happened at Philippi right up there? and then to Thessalonica, and then to Berea. And everywhere that he went, with his companions, Timothy, Silas, and earlier on with Mark even, everywhere he went, there was just revival. People were getting saved. And another common thing about his missionary journey is he gets thrown out of cities. People just literally chase him out, stone him, persecuted him. And so at this time, you know, he has just left Berea, the Berea, and he has just come into the city of Athens, right here. But Timothy and Silas, they were not chased out of town. <laughs> and so they were still in Berea, and Paul was just waiting for them to join him here at Athens. Athens. Athens is a cosmopolitan city. And in those days itself, it was very well known. It is the capital city for all religious thoughts, for all philosophical thinking. The greatest, the most brilliant minds in the world will be found in Athens. They were well known for their universities, for their, for their philosophical thoughts. So all the learned men, can be found there in Athens. 
It is the Harvard. It is the Oxford of today's age. But it is even far greater than that. It is well known for its art, for its architecture, for its good economy. And guess what? They even have indoor plumbing in those days, found only in Athens. They know how to live life. So they have everything. And Athens is also well known for their many gods and for their many goddesses. And uh, uh, it, it, is, it, it is well known, all right? Greek mythology is well known for the many gods and goddesses. And we'll come to that in a little while. And so, Paul entered there and he began to preach the gospel as he began to see what was happening there. And then he was invited to speak at Mars Hill or Areopagus. Areopagus is a place where all the learned minds come together. And there they will discuss everything under the sun. They will talk about philosophy, they will talk about religion, they will talk about the latest thing that happened. And it was among all these learned scholars and brilliant minds that he stood up and shared the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ at Mars Hill. What started him off was when he saw the people of Athens. Although they were brilliant, they were learned minds, and yet they were spiritually devoid of the truth. And his heart goes out even towards them. Because he said, as he was passing by the streets of Athens, he saw how religious the people were. Yes, they have gods for everything. You want sun? You erect a statue for the sun god. You want rain? You erect a statue for the rain god. You want good fortune? You want health? You erect a statue for each and every one of these needs that you have in your life. And so you find that they have a god for every imaginable thing in life. And just in case they miss out worshipping any gods, and the god may be angry for being left out, just in case they want to cover themselves so that every conceivable gods are covered in their worship, they erected a statue with an inscription that says, To the unknown god. Ah, with that statue, pow, you know, everything covered, you know. So to the unknown God, in case we miss out that God, ah, you, 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 you are the one. We, you know, we are worshipping you also. And so they have a God for everything. It is said that it is easier to find a God in the street than to find a man. You know, because in every corner of the, of the street, there is a statue or there is an idol, you know, erected to the worship of God's. To the unknown God. Unknown, not just because they do not know that God, perhaps more so because they do not go know the nature of God, who God really is. They don't understand, they don't know who God is. Who is God? 
That is a question of the ages, isn't, isn't it? Not just for the pre-believers, the unbelievers, but even for Christians, perhaps, sometimes we wrestle with it. Although, yes, you have heard the gospel, you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, but sometimes when you face certain situations in life, you begin to wonder, God, are you there? Are you real? God, why are you, why are you not acting? God, why are you not answering my prayer? God, who are you really? Do you really care? And sometimes when we talk to even unbelievers, maybe, you know, a cultured group, they confuse our faith, you know, and we are confused. God, you know, all the, all the years I've been taught you are like this, but are, are you really like this? Doubt begins to come in and we are shaken in our faith. I pray that even through this passage of Scripture, you will really know the God you are looking for. He is not a figment of our imagination. He is not somebody else's theory. He is who He revealed Himself to be really. And you can know this unknown God. You can know this unknown God. The God who makes the world actually wants to be known. The unknown God. Why is it that He cannot reveal Himself? Actually, He has. And He continues to reveal Himself. He delights to reveal Himself to us. God is not shrouded in mystery that man cannot approach at all. No, not anymore. God wants to make Himself known to us. God wants people to know who He is and what He is really like. He, it is important for us to understand that. And perhaps some, some of the things that confuses us, He wants to shed light on it. He wants to make known the things that we long to know. And He will reveal it to us. And so in the sermon on Mass Hill, God, God used the Apostle Paul, to reveal to us certain of his character. And first of all, who is God? God is the Creator. God is our Creator. Verse 24, God who made the world and everything in it. Creator, He is Lord of heaven and earth and He is also the Sustainer. And this is very, very powerful. God is creator. So basic, and yet it is very fundamental. You see, there are two schools of thought, even in Athens. And these are the, kind, these are the scholars, these are the philosophers that are found as listed here, or as mentioned here in this passage. First of all, there are the Epicureans. They believed that matter was eternal and had no creator. And so what is the chief goal of life? The chief goal of life is happiness. Be happy. Don't worry, be happy. Be happy and enjoy life. So to them, pleasure is the chief goal of life. We come here, we exist, we die, we disappear. That's all. 
So, eat, drink, and be merry became their philosophy. There's no creator, there's no Lord, there's no sustainer at all. The other extreme are the Stoics. The Stoics, they believe God was in everything. Everything is God and God is everything. And so, the stone can be a God. The trees can be a God. Or God can be found in the rivers, in the sun. Everything can be gods. And so that's why you know, there are multitudes of gods in Greek mythology. They are devoted to duty and morals, virtue. And whatever pain, disappointments in life, you just have to endure it. So on one hand, the Epicureans enjoy life. The other one, hey, very, they suppress the flesh. Two extreme philosophies. One doesn't bother about God at all, doesn't mention about God. The other thing, the, the Stoics, everything is God. And Paul came along and says, God is creator, Lord, and sustainer. It is very important for us because it answers the question of where did I come from? Now, I know that creationism is not popular in the schools and in our universities today. They don't teach creation. They teach evolution. Evolution. As if it is a fact, when it is not even a good theory. But the Bible declares that God is our creator. And creation itself proved the existence of God. In fact, one great musician says he doesn't need anything for the, to prove the existence of God. Music itself proved the existence of God for him. So creation itself proved the existence of God. There are other things that prove the existence of God. Of course, the Bible itself is the greatest proof of the existence of God and our very life itself. So we are created by God. God is our creator. We have to recognize that. And number two, God is personal. You see, it is not enough that God is our creator because the, 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 the Epicureans, you know, they believe maybe at one time God was there. But after he has created matter, you know, and atom, matter becomes everything and God has gone away, leaving man to themselves to run the world. He's an absentee God. He doesn't bother about mankind at all. You're on your own. That's why God here is personal. Paul says he is not far from each one of us. He's not far. For in Him, we, we live and move and have our being. As also some of the poets poet says, we are also His offspring. We are the children of God. We are the offspring of God. In other words, we are created in His image. We are created in His image and God wants to have relationship with us. 
the image of God. God is a relational God. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The image of God. We are relational beings. And God is personal. He relates with each and every one of us. Why am I here? God has created us for fellowship with Him, for relationship with Him. The problem is not that there is no God. The problem is that we are alienated from God. That's why we feel the absence of God. But today, God has revealed Himself to be a very, very personal God. And He wants us to have relationship with Him because He is a personal God. God wants us to find Him. God is closer than we think. He is not far from us. In fact, Paul says, in Him we move and live and have our being, our very existence itself. How far is God away from us? In Him we live. Where is He? He's not out there in the galaxy somewhere. He's right here in our hearts. Hallelujah. He's right here in our hearts. For those who have sought Him, He shall be found and He shall be within even our heart. He knows my name. That's how personal He is. In John chapter 10 verse 3, the sheep knows the voice of the shepherd. And the shepherd calls the sheep by name. In the last days, the Antichrist will come. There will be a new world system, a new world government. And you will not be known by your name. You will be known by a number. You will be known by a number. Even right now, sometimes you are known by your number. You go to some officers, uh, what's your IC number? 5708250256895. That's my number. That, that's not who I am, but that's my number. That's how the government recognizes me and traces me. Sometimes they change the number. You have an old IC, yeah? Some of you, they always ask us, what's the old IC? 5216194. That's not a prison number, huh? That's my IC number. But Jesus, God, He's so personal. Every time he, 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 he calls somebody in the Bible, Moses, Moses, Samuel, Samuel, He calls them by name. He knows you by name. Hallelujah. That's how personal He is. Sometimes the pastor may not remember your name also. He pretends to know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hello, brother. How are you? <laughs> when, sometimes, sometimes when some, some pastors call you brother or sister, you know that, ah, you forgot my name. <laughs> Sorry, ah. Sorry, ah. <laughs> sometimes you have to help us to remember, okay? But God knows me by name. You are so precious to Him. He knows my needs. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. Every single need that you have, He knows it. Every cry of the heart, He knows it. And that's why He has come to minister to all those needs, whether it be physical healing, 
whether it be finance. The Father in heaven knows your needs. He feeds the sparrows, He clothes the lilies of the field. He will take care of you. Amen. That's how personal He is. And not only that, He also knows my nerves, how I'm wired, my emotions, how I feel. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 tells us that He knows our frame, yes. And when we go through temptations, He knows our feelings. He knows every single one of us. For He was in every point tempted as we were. He is not a high priest that is without emotion. When you feel discouraged, He wants to lift you up. When you feel depressed, He wants to cheer you up. When you feel frustrated, <clears throat> He will encourage you. He knows how you feel. The gamut of emotions that you feel through life. You feel rejected. Hey, He was rejected before. He knows what it means to be rejected. He knows what it means to, to be without things, the essential things in life. He knows what it is like. He felt every feelings that we have felt in life. He who was the bread of life started his ministry hungry. He who was the living water ended his ministry crying out, I thirst. He who was called a devil cast out demons. He who was weary became rest for our souls. He who wept dries our tears. Bless the Lord Jesus Christ. And he who was led as a lamb to the slaughter became our great shepherd. He knows every feelings that we have. He's a personal God. You can come to Him. You can relate with Him because God is personal. In, who, in Him, we move and live and have our being. And He is personally involved in our life. All right? God is not a faraway God as the, as the Stoics would think, as the, as the uh, 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 pagans with thing. Bible says, and he has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grow for him and find him. God is personally involved in nations, in lives, in each one of our lives, in the families. He has an, he has an interest in what's happening in your life. He has pre-appointed times even for each and every one of us. 
He guides us. He leads us along. He never forces it on us, but He continues to lead and to guide us and to oversee and lead us even into that divine destiny, that divine purpose and plan for our lives. Sometimes when you make a mess out of it, do not give up because God is still leading. He's still guiding you and He will never let go of your hands. Even sometimes when you do not see the leading of the Lord, just like Joseph in Egypt, just, you know, when he was in the deep, in, 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 the, in, in, in the pit of despair, God is still there. And God will bless. God will sustain each and every one of us. That's who He is. All that we need to do is to seek Him. Seek Him and you will find Him. Whatever that you are going through, seek Him and you will find Him. Hallelujah. And the third thing is God is patient and forgiving. Bible says here, in times past, God overlooked the sins of the people. The King James Version says, God wink. You wink at somebody, God wink at you. That wink is a wink of overlooking. God overlooked before. But now that He has given us His Son, Jesus Christ, He wants everybody to repent. It is a royal command. Now is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. He commands all men everywhere to repent because He has prepared a day. He has prepared a judge. There is going to be a divine judgment. You seldom hear about divine judgment. Anywhere, and even in the churches today, I think I should start preaching more on divine judgment. Huh? But it's a fact. It's going to happen. Sometimes we look in, into the world and we say, where is justice? It seems like we are living in a very unjust world. The innocent man, not that innocent, some will say, who stole a bottle of milk, gets imprisoned for five years. The one who took 2.6 billion, we don't want to talk about it. Lah, huh? We don't know where the person is. Where is justice? And we are angry, become angry. But God is not mocked. Whoever we are, all are created by God. Doesn't matter what religions they are even right now. There is going to come a day of judgment. God will judge everything. People think they are smart. They can escape human judgment, human justice. But divine judgment is coming. For everybody, you can be sure of that. Certainty. He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. By who? By Jesus Christ. The Savior will one day become the judge. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. He has given assurance. Another translation says he has given proof. What is the proof? 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God has raised him from the dead and given him authority above all other things. That is the proof that God has given, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, but now, God is patient and He is forgiving. He wants everybody to come to repentance. And that is why He's sending out missionaries. That's why He's sending out His disciples. That's why He commands all of us to go into the world, preach this gospel of salvation, of repentance. There's an urgency there. God has overlooked in times past, but now is a day of reckoning. Now is the day of salvation. The door is still open. We have to preach the gospel before it is too late. Who is God? God is creator. He is personal. He is forgiving and loving. Yes, He also gives greatly. You know, our God is a great giver. He loves to give. The Bible says in verse 25, He gives to all. He gives to all life. The very fact that we are breathing today, He gives to us this very life itself. And not only life and bread, but all things. He gives to us all things, even the rain and the sun. Everything that we have actually comes from Him. He just loves to give and give and give. That's the nature of of our God, our Heavenly Father. In Acts chapter 14, verse 15 to 17, He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven, crops in their seasons. He provides you. He continues to provide you with what? With plenty. With plenty. Here, plenty of food. Huh, that's what you all like, huh? That's what we like. That's why, oh, there's so much food. Our problem is not famine. Our problem is overeating. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's not talking about me. And he says, he fills your heart with joy. God not only gives a physical thing, he gives us enjoyment. You can enjoy the things that God has given you. Not like the Stoics who suppress everything. But God gives us in order that we may enjoy it according to the purpose that He has given to us. 1 Chronicles 29, 11-12, He also gives us wealth and honor and strength as well. He gives us everything that we ever need. We are His offspring. Our Heavenly Father, we have the nature of God in us. If God is a giver, we are also to be givers. We give to bless others. God has blessed us in order to be a blessing to others. And so let us continue to give. It is the nature of God and it is the nature of God's children. To give, to give to others. We thank God for the giving of the people of God. Even in the mission's pleasure that I have just announced to you, 2.4 million. And I continue to pray and, 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 and challenge you to continue to give unto the Lord because our God is a giver. But having known this God, what do you do? 
You can't keep it to yourself. Just like some of you, over lunch and dinner, many times, oh, you tasted a good food and immediately the conversation changed and say, oh, you know the best chakwetel you can find is where? And you go on and on and tell where you can find this, where you can find that food. I think we, uh, some of us are very good in that. And that actually is making known. Making known something that is, that is uh, significant to you. And if you have known the real God, the true God, He's no more the unknown God. What do you do? You want to make Him known to others who still do not know, to others who are still searching for the one true God. As, <coughs> as somebody has said, evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. We have known God as a source of all things, God who has been so good to us. We must tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Paul was here at Athens, the Bible says, and he was actually waiting. He was actually waiting for Silas and Timothy to come and join him. So he may have a few days to spare and, well, he wasn't really wanting to do an evangelistic crusade. He wasn't invited. He may not know anybody there at all even. So he was just walking down the streets. If you are, if, if you are visiting a new city that is well known, if you are in Los Angeles, San Francisco, Mumbai, Bangkok, what would you do? If you are in Shanghai, Beijing, Melbourne, what would you do? And you've got a few days to spare. Some of us will just walk the street and enjoy the beautiful sceneries. Whoa, what a beautiful place. Some of us will immediately go Google and check where's the, where's the favorite uh, f uh, 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 place for food and makan. Some of us will enjoy the architecture. Some of us will go to the museum and they say, oh, nothing wrong in all of this. Paul could have seen himself as just a tourist. And he could just spend those few days as a tourist. Many of us will immediately look for the shopping mall, the biggest shopping mall in town, and shop and shop and shop till we drop. But Paul could have easily, easily ignored what is happening and say, None of my business here. If people want to worship their God, it's up to them. None of my business. He could have just ignored it. Oh, he could have just locked himself into the room and on the remote channel of the television with 500 channels and watch the latest show or the Premier League. Now, something happened to Paul when he was in that city. <clears throat> Bible says he was provoked. He was provoked. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked. Now, provoke is a powerful word, very powerful. 
parosino. That's where we get the English word parosism. That means a spasm, an outburst, a powerful grief, manifestation. He was provoked in the spirit. Actually, he, it's not his time yet. He was supposed to just wait for Timothy and for Silas. But they hasn't come yet and he's just walking down the street. He, what provoked him? The Bible says when he saw the entire city given over, that means Satan, demonic spirits, have a hold over the entire city. Given over. In some version it says utterly given over, totally given over. And when he saw that, Oh, something was stirring deep inside him. He did not intend to preach yet. But something was stirring already. Provoke means stirred, trouble, upset, distress, grief, pain, roused to anger. Have you been provoked before? You know, sometimes we are very easily provoked. A car overtakes you. Wow, already provoked. Oh. I mean, what's wrong with the car overtaking you? Already provoked. You immediately, your leg step, step on the gas. You want to beat the other guy already. Somebody bump into you accidentally. You just turn back and look very angrily at the person. And sometimes we purposely provoke others. You go to people and slap the face. I mean, lightly only. You are provoking already, you know. And husbands and wives, ah, you constantly provoke one another. Not to good words. You provoke one another. Slight, the small, small, small thing you provoke already. And after that, once the person is provoked, tabole tahan already, cannot stand. There's always a constant argument between the little brother and the, little, uh, the two brothers. And when the parents come and say, hey, what are you doing? And the other person says, he, he did it, he started it. He provoked me. It's the younger ones who always provoke. You see, in life, we are so easily provoked. And once you are provoked, it can either lead to good things, but many times it can lead to bad things. Because once you're provoked, unless you know how to control it, and channel it correctly. That's a full sermon in itself. I won't have time to go into it, but just to give you one or two examples. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 6, Bible says, Hannah was provoked. And who provoked Hannah? The mother, the future mother in chapter 1, the future mother of Samuel, the greatest prophet. Who provoked Hannah? She was provoked by Elkanah, second wife. Oh. And the Bible says in verse 6, her adversary provoked her. The adversary is Peninia. And definitely, Satan was behind it also because Satan is known as the adversary. Sometimes Satan can use people to provoke you. 
And in this case, Peninia provoked Hannah because she was barren. She couldn't bear a child, whereas Peninia has given her husband children, but Hannah couldn't. And constantly she provoked her, not just for once, but many days, endlessly. She provoked Hannah. And Hannah fretted. She was, she was saddened in the spirit. It affected her life. But then you know what she did? When you're provoked, you can burst out in anger, in temper, you can kill the other person even. But Hannah did not do that. Hannah went to the Lord in prayer. In verse 10, Hannah just kept, went to the Lord in prayer, unloaded her burden before the Lord, cried out before the Lord. And guess what? Out of that provocation came forth from the womb of Hannah, the greatest prophet ever by the name of Samuel. It provoked her to prayer. Friends, sometimes we need provocation from people like Julius Subi, who comes and provokes us to pray. From people, oh, who knows how to provoke people to prayer. That's what we need. There are many other examples in the Bible. I won't go through the list. But brothers and sisters, here, Paul was provoked. When he saw the idolatrous city, We can be provoked in many ways in missions. Some of the pictures that were shown to you, oh yeah, those pictures of hunger, of needs to provoke us to be involved in missions. But even this passport, it is a tool to provoke you also. You may look at the statistics and it may not move you at all. But last weekend, a little child picked up this booklet and she saw for the first time the people in the world. And one of them commented, I don't know which particular country, but she saw the country and she says, What? Christians? Only 1%? Ah. That provoked her. How come? So few Christians in the land. Only 1% Christians. A child's spirit can be provoked. And I pray that God will make a missionary out of that person, whoever that person is. Because she's sensitive to the Lord. That's how the Lord many times provokes us. So when you look at the statistics here, does it provoke you? Bangladesh, first page, Bangladesh, Muslim 89.1%, Hindus 10%, wow, that's almost 100% already, and it says here, others 0.9%, Christians are not even listed here, others 0.9%, I checked further, you know, and I discovered that out of the 0.9% under others, actually Christians are only 0.3%. Not even 1%, not even half percent, 0.3%. And most of these 0.3% are made up of Catholics. 
was happening in Bangladesh. They may not have idols like Athens, but five times a day, everybody is reminded they are seeking for the true God. Will that provoke you and say, God, give me Bangladesh or I die? There are many countries like that also. Pakistan is one of those also. But what will provoke us? Yes, these things will provoke us. But I, I believe that this is a holy provocation because the Bible says, and I was just looking at this verse. It says here, His spirit was provoked. Right? Paul's spirit was provoked. That is clear enough already. His spirit was provoked. But then the Bible still asks, within him. Of course, the spirit is within him, isn't it? His spirit was provoked within him. And I believe that the impetus of missions comes not just by the needs of the nation, not even by the mandate that we have received from the Lord, but the, pro but the provocation must come from the Holy Spirit within us. It's the Holy Spirit who provoked the Apostle Paul. It is a holy, inspired provocation. It is a, it's a, it's, 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 it's a burden that is laid by the Holy Spirit. That's what causes great missionaries to go out. They have been provoked by the Holy Spirit and they are willing to do anything to take the gospel there. It is beyond just the material needs of the people but God has stirred up the hearts of His people. God has stirred up the hearts of many of our people. You keep going to the nation. Why? There is a holy provocation within you. It's something from internal. That's why people are willing to go. That's why people continue, continue to intercede. That's why people continue to give unto the Lord. Provoke to missions. That's the secret. And I know that God is speaking to your hearts in these areas as well. Once you are provoked, then action will follow. Provocation also means to incite, arouse, annoy, stimulate into action. God begins to use you. When God stirs us up, get ready. Move into action. Pray like you've never prayed before. Give like you never give before. Go where you have never gone before. And so Paul began to preach Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the Lord. He preached not everybody will get saved. Some will. Preach. Because there are those whom God has prepared to receive salvation. God will work through the preaching, through the sharing, through the giving, through the going of His people. The question we need to ask is, who will make known the unknown God? Will you be the one? Let's pray.